One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Celebrating 35 years of creativity and collaboration, the Vail Dance Festival returns July 28th through August 7th with 12 thrilling performances and numerous special events, including live podcast recordings of conversations on dance all across the beautiful Vail Valley. Don't miss the legendary Martha Graham Dance Company, LA Dance Project, Music from the Soul, Ballet X, Dance Aspen, and an all-star cast of festival artists from New York City Ballet, American Ballet Theater, the Royal Danish Ballet, Boston Ballet, and many more. Tickets for our live podcast recordings are now available at veildance.org slash conversations on dash dance or click the link in the show notes. Tickets for festival performances are also available now at veildance.org. See you this summer. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today we are joined by the Artistic Director of Pacific Northwest Ballet, Peter Bull. We have had the pleasure of having Peter on the podcast a handful of times in the past, but today we are happy to speak with him about his new memoir, which was released in June, Illusions of Camelot, a memoir. Peter tells us about how he built the concept of the book, what he wanted to convey, and the experience of writing such personal essays about his life. Illusions of Camelot is now available at your local bookstore or online on Amazon. Click the link in the show notes to order now. Peter, thank you so much for joining us bright and early today. We've had you on the podcast several times talking about your own performing career and, of course, the work you do as the artistic director at PNB. But we are excited to talk to you today about something completely different. It's your work as a writer. So I'm curious to know what your relationship was to writing as you were performing, as you were teaching, and then more recently. Like, was this something that you um, had always been invested in and just hadn't taken the time to pursue yet? I think it was, I think it was something that was very much in the back of my mind, almost my whole life. Cause even in um, elementary school, I remember writing projects and being mm. excited about them. 
I the I guess the first time I I formally dove into writing was um, New York City Ballet has a wonderful program where dancers can get an education at Fordham University and um, work their way through college over years while they're dancing. And the first course that I ever took was a creative writing course. And I had a wonderful teacher. It was actually at the New School for Social Research, a man named Sidney Offit. He's still alive. Sent him a copy of the book. Uh, but he selected a story of mine to read to the class and um, didn't identify the author. And I read it to the class and it got a very, very strong reaction from people in the class. And it was the first time that I realized that my writing could affect people in ways that were powerful. Mm -hmm. do, do you recall what that particular story was about? Yeah, sure. So this story was about, um, it's called Cindy Dorsey and the Burrs. And I did lose it, but I tried to recreate it here in the book. Uh, so it's a story about um, a girl on the playground with a group of boys in fourth grade and an incident that happened with her that was very um, violating and upsetting. And I think it was the first time that I realized that my writing was worth pursuing or at least could affect people in very strong ways. Uh, of course, I was 20 at the time. So and now we're talking 40 years later that I <laughs> finally got put pen to paper and made the story um, something others could read. So interesting to think about your talking about strong reactions to your writing. And of course, as dancers, we have this kind of instant reaction right on stage. We perform, the audience claps. It's still a similar thing, right? We're doing it for an audience, but this is such a different experience. And so the book just came out, is that right? And and what has that kind of been like, getting maybe more a delayed reaction or just putting it out there into space and being like, okay, now what? <laughs> Oh my God, it's so weird. I, I mean, bet. First of all, you sit there quietly, you know, on your own, on your laptop, writing all of this personal stuff, and only an editor reads it. And of course, the most phenomenal listener was Kelly Bowl, my wife. She just read every story as it was written and encouraged me to keep going. Um, mm -hmm. But then you're like, I mean, I don't want to swear on your show, but you're like, oh, everybody's going to read yes. this. <laughs> right. I thought of that. So um, anyway, here well, we are. Yeah. I mean, the book is very emotional. I, I cried several times during it. And that's something that I like dancing as personal as it is. It's, um, you know, you're revealing facets of yourself, but not, you know, it's in a wordless way, obviously. And then but you're telling stories, I mean, about your your father, about losing uh, your partner to disease. Like it, it, there are things that are just really difficult for anyone to go through, but then for you to share that, you know, not just with a loved one, someone you're confiding in, but with a very broad audience, what has that been like for you? Yeah, I think what you can read into my family and maybe many families is let's not talk about it. Let's bottle it up. Let's mm -hmm. brush it under the rug. Let's try to keep appearances up. Let's, let's smile and, and pretend like everything's okay. And it's not a good plan, you know. And, um, and this was, um, I think everybody does that. And also find me a person that hasn't had a, a really rough struggle with grief or with knowing someone who's ill or passes away. Um, and, I, and I wanted to balance it with some levity in the book and some humor. But um, it's really, it's about loss. And it's about also grappling with addiction, either personally mm -hmm. or with somebody that you know and love. And um, I, I knew others went through this. I knew others hadn't talked about this. And I thought maybe in this book, we tap into something that others need to cry over or address or discuss. 
Right. It could have been very easy for you maybe to just exclusively talk about your career and about ballet. And so I wonder how that came about that you wanted to balance both and if that felt, why that felt important to you to do. Well, it's, it's interesting. I, I actually didn't want to write about ballet. I just really wanted to talk about growing up in this town and mm-hmm. to caregivers and father and family. And um, my editor was like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> got to give us something. Um, right. And I did have, I think I had the chapter about visiting Balanchine in the hospital. Um, mm-hmm. I'd written that a couple of years before. So I had that one and I didn't want to include that. But um, the, the editor, Leslie Curtis, that did such a wonderful job, she really pulled on the ballet strings and said, you know, you have a readership that's going to want to at least know that you were a dancer. <laughs> and that there was some level of integration of, of dance. And dance was hugely important to me. I mean, I, it, it's just hard to meld the two topics. Mm-hmm. But of mm-hmm. course, they did cross over in different places. So I added the one chapter, I think it's called the Quaker meeting about Stanley Williams class. Um, and then a coach is about uh, Jerome Robbins, a little bit about being a child in the Nutcracker. So it has a, it's probably about 10% about dance right. um, and the right. rest is really about yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious how, how, what, what the process was like, were you just writing about individual memories or stories and then kind of configuring what the order or shape the book would be later? Or did you have a clear idea of what you wanted um, from the get-go? You know, if you look back at the book, you can tell that I'm not a writer and I don't know what I'm doing, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I I added up to something interesting, but I just kept (laughs) writing short stories and pulling short stories. And I don't know that I knew what the where the threads were and what the ultimate Mm -hmm. tapestry was at the end of the day. But um, I think things emerged and it developed a scaffolding all its own. And then there was a further exploration to see how we might fill that in. Um, I didn't want those traces that run through the book. I wanted characters like an early caregiver's Mrs. Hattie, and I wanted her to come back at later chapters because mm-hmm. I knew readers would be sort of attached to her as I was. But um, I did think of it as like, I think I write in the, <clears throat> in the back that it's like a series of mosaics, uh, little tiles that I'm putting together. And eventually mm-hmm. you start to see a picture. I love that. I I wonder whenever we talk with people who are writing books, I'm always so curious of the editing process and because it's just something that we don't experience as dancers. So what was that like? Like, how did your editor really help? I know wanted to throw in some ballet in there, but how in other ways were they helping to kind of steer you and put this like mosaic together to create this full picture? You know, um, Leslie is very attuned to the ballet and knew me well as a performer and really enjoyed the process of getting to know me better as a person. And she was just sniffing it out. She was like, you're holding back. You are not telling something. And and I didn't really want to write the story. It's called Sonny Von Bulow Sheets. It's about losing um, John Bass that I had an early relationship with when I was at New York City Ballet. And that was during the time of AIDS. And, and the loss was pretty devastating, but I just, you know, shoved it somewhere where I didn't have to deal with it and just pushed on and, um, and a whole like chunk of myself and life. I just kept walking forward and, and actually dove right back into dance, which was my antidote for the grief that I was supposed to feel. But um, Leslie was like, there's another story you're not telling. There's another story you're not telling. And I was like, there's yeah. another story, but I'm not telling it, Leslie. And she said, yes, you are. Wow. <laughs> Go home and write it. And so I was like, okay. Right. 
I'll see what I come up with. So. I mean, just like even sitting here, like just recalling reading that story, I, I, I had to put the book down for a second. I, I, I it was it's so devastating. I, but I imagine it must have felt at least somewhat cathartic to go through the the process if you had been kind of pushing those memories away. Like what, what just for that particular story, what, what did you feel after you had, I guess, done your first draft and, and how did you, um, how did you feel like it was going to affect the the overall impact of the book? Yeah, I think it was kind of, I mean, suddenly these anchors drop at the end of the book. Um, there's a story about what my family went through with, um, my sister's pony, which doesn't sound like a, a powerful story, but it was really defining for our family. Um, and with John, I think, you know, again, I admire Kelly for um, sort of applauding me to just write the story and to talk about this time that I was grappling with my own sexuality. And she's been such a rock ever since. And she knew John, she was around at that time. So this isn't Mm-hmm. something that was um, unknown. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I went right from the funeral. I, I flew um, immediately to the Kennedy Center to jump on stage at my premiere as Oberon. And I was completely under-rehearsed. I had mm-hmm. Eve Anderson on one side telling me what to do and Sarah Leland on the other side telling me what to do when I went on stage. It, mm-hmm. it just, um, you know, I think that's what we do. We just we just keep dancing and it's it's so wonderful. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you block other things out and it was unhealthy to block it out. And so I was, it was cathartic and and helpful to go back and realize, Hey, this powerful moment deserves some more attention and some more meditation. And it, it actually helps me move on. Right. I mean, even just thinking of that part in the book with Eve and and Sally helping you out, it's like, uh, or when, when you lose your father and Stanley says like, I'm so sorry. It's, um, I think dancers and teachers, we have a different way of showing that we care about each other and it's not always going to be verbally. So yeah, I think it must've been a really fascinating process to, you know, explore your own grief, but in a way that we don't typically do. So, You're so it was right, very deeply moving. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, I mean, you knew Stanley, right? Did you, you had Stanley? No, I miss, I miss Stanley. I was, oh I was God. only, I think I was like three years after Stanley passed. Oh, I thought you were going to say three years old. I was like, wait. I miss Stanley, but only by a few years. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Stanley would have just loved you. You're exactly mm-hmm. his type of dancer. But but what Stanley would do is just, you know, sort of let's come together silently and let's meditate. It's, I mean, that's what we did every day with Stanley. And it was sort of, mm-hmm. I mean, Stanley barely spoke in a class, but there's something so communicative that dancers have with audiences with each other that isn't isn't verbal mm. and it's it's a beautiful thing but but you never talk it out you just you exist right. together move it out ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Talking about this moment in particular makes me wonder if there was something else um, in the book that kind of was like an aha moment to you kind of that like processing it was very like we're talking about cathartic. Was there something else that kind of like stood out to you as an important part of this book, part of the process? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me to write another chapter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, is there another chapter that you're interested in writing that didn't make it in? How about that? (laughs) No fiction, fiction from here on out. Um, I think what was interesting to me, the book was largely about my father, as you know, but I think there were so many moments of disappointment in my father. And, and as I wrote the book, I realized there was actually little slices of amazing parenting that, that shot through. And these moments when I could see how much my dad loved me and supported me. And I was so mired in like, he's drinking again, he's drunk again. But even through that, you, you got these like, little shards of of affection and clarity that were really beautiful and even as i was reading it back i was like look at that like there's an incident on the train where um there was somebody that was really following me and it was really scary and i was a, a young teenager probably i don't know probably about 14 or 13 or something and and it was you know somebody um really approaching me in a nefarious way and when my dad heard about it my dad is the first time i ever saw him like almost violent in wanting to hurt anybody that hurt me. And though the whole thing was so upsetting, I was like, wait, that was my dad saying I would do anything for you, um, mm-hmm. including, you know, standing in the way of the lion if I had to. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, you know, telling moment. It just, it comes in different ways with people and people that are wading through the sort of muck of addiction. Um, it gets mired, but it's still there. And it, if anything, it becomes stronger because it needs to come out. Mm. Right. Uh, it's, I, the way you portray your father is just so, it's really moving because it is so complicated and it's very clear that you, it's something that I think everyone can relate to. You know, maybe, you know, you, not everyone has an alcoholic father, but you have a, a person in your life that you love and you care about, but who is deeply complicated and it can be, makes it hard for you, you to love them back in that way. You know, so I think it's just, it was so relatable and just so moving. Um, I am curious since Rebecca kind of made this point about writing another story, but I I do wonder, was there anything you had to kind of leave by the wayside because it wasn't fitting in the flow of the book or um, were there any, did you write additional stories that didn't make the cut? I think the only one that we grappled with a little bit was I, I did a bit of a um, repackaging. I, I wrote a story about Jerome Robbins for dance magazine. And I thought I could put the story in the book. Mm. Um, And it, the editor kept saying, it's just not reading with the rest of the book. It really feels like a mm-hmm. separate writing project, which it was. So I did have to hack that up a little bit and go back and and reapproach that one. Mm. But um, no, there wasn't a story that hit the cutting room floor, which was kind of nice. 
And if anything, um, it just, I just kept adding because I think I had two thirds of a book when I met Leslie and and she really pulled out the rest. And I actually think there's probably somebody was asking, where's the story really about your relationship with your mother? And where's the one about your relationship with your sister? And so I I, I guess I liked the, um, that there wasn't, it wasn't completely fleshed out. There are places where the the reader can infer different relationships and fill in some gaps. I, I wanted dialogue to be defining, but um, not necessarily me spelling out exactly what relationships were. Just let those conversations define it or people's movements or, um, you know, the, the, their body language, allow that to be part of the telling. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you had three quarters of a book when you met Leslie um, or when you started thinking about this. How What was the, that process like? Like you kind of had this idea in your mind, you started working on it. Where did you take it from there before it really became like a full-fledged project? I wrote a, a lot of this book um, between 2013 and 2015. And then I sent it to a number of um, editors, I'd say maybe five editors and publishers. And I got, um, as Leslie said, you got the nicest rejections. Like <laughs> people talked about, I, you know, they just usually say no, but they said, this story was great. And I see this, but they said, it just doesn't really add up to, to a book. And I'm not sure that it's something that we could sell. And they said right now, you know, it's, it's really about politics or it's about other issues and you're, it's not even a dance book. So it just isn't, doesn't right. fit into a category. And, um, so I kind of I kind of forgot about it, and then I sat next to Leslie at a dinner, a fundraising dinner um, for the mm-hmm. Joyce, and and we just got to talking, and she said, you know, I'm an editor, and I said, oh, you know, <laughs> I wrote some stories, can I send them to you? And so, and then she wrote back and said, you know, these are really worth investing in. So I needed a champion. Um, and the other thing is, as you know, I have this other job. <laughs> yeah, a pretty big one. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't do this full devotion to writing this book until somebody said, you have to find the time to sit down and do this. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I know Leslie personally, and I just I love hearing all that. It just makes total sense. She would be the one that is like she's just um, tough in a in a kind way, though. You know, she's just like this you know, this is what you need to do to get it done. So uh, I just, I love that she was so important to the book. Um, So then about how long did it take you, uh, you know, since you do have this other very important job to also do, how long from, you know, I guess kind of having an idea that you might be writing a book to actual publication? Uh, I'd say I gave Leslie, you know, 75% of the book and then there was uh, the back and forth and, I think we really had a meeting of the minds as an editor and a writer. Um, Mm -hmm. I was flattered. She said it was very clean. She says she usually doesn't receive um, editions that are that clean. So there wasn't a lot of going back to fix punctuation and spellings and things. Um, Oh, she is such a stickler for that. That's really high praise from Leslie. That's amazing. (laughs) Well, I should probably credit um, my assistant for many years is Doug Fullington, who's probably the cleanest writer ever in the ballet world. um, So Uh poor Doug was editing my writing and I started to learn some things over the years. (laughs) But I I would say, um, you know, aside from pulling out the other four or five stories that Leslie had, um, the editing process is arduous and also rewarding. And I think, you know, you find like, what if this sentence were, and then you say, oh my God, that really resonates written a different way. Um, right. But every word is my writing. Um, Leslie would put forward suggestions or just say, go back and see if you could say this in a different way. 
And I, I'm very pleased it's still my voice. It doesn't feel like a ghostwriter or an editor stepped in. Um, and, and I honestly wanted to do this as a writer. I didn't want to do this as somebody who saw Balanchine in the hospital and met Andy Warhol. Right. Like that didn't feel like a, a hugely reward. It felt like a name dropping book. I certainly name dropped mm-hmm. in the book, but, um, mm-hmm. but I wanted the exercise of writing and, and that, that was mm-hmm. what I was looking for. And I, I think I could have written a dance book too, but it's just not what I wanted to do. By the time you get to the name dropping parts of the book, we've already become so attached to you and your family. And it it feels very organic and very clear that that's not the central focus of the book at all. Good. Um, Good. Glad to hear go ahead, it. Rebecca. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, no. I was just going to ask if you are interested in writing more and what that might look like and if that's already in the works. Yeah, I am interested in writing more. Um, I'm I'm not sure where to dive in. Uh, I've started another book of fiction, and, and I don't know if that's going to be um, a place to go. There's there's issues in the world today that that really bother me, and I, I just want to approach it in a very individual way. But um, anyway, it, we don't need to talk about issues in the world today that bother us. But <laughs> <laughs> but I think we need to talk and we need to tell stories, and that's how we connect more deeply and also understand um, alternate views. And I, I would love everybody to take their stories and bring them forward because we've become closer by doing that. And obviously there's massive divides in our world. And when people can find those things they share and um, they've both experienced, we grow a little closer. Beautiful. Something that struck me right away in the book was your ability to recall things, some details and, and nuance of these memories that is so insanely specific to me from memories where you're as young as I think three uh how I mean is this just like a gift that you have naturally or is this did you have to do research back into I don't know family archives or something you know like finding out I mean I don't remember my you know first grade teacher's name maybe I you know and the the, the way you know every kid in the class and um I don't know I I was super fascinated by that can you tell us a little bit about that process First of all, you gave me a compliment that you think it's all true. So, <laughs> um, well. It is largely true, but I did do some uh-huh. piecing together. I mean, the first story is I, I was not yet three when I won this bicycle, but I did have this right. newspaper clipping. So I kind of built the story from that. And then my mom's memories of those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those stories were just told in the family. So mm-hmm. I knew the telling and, you know, you're not exactly sure you remember the original incident, but there was some liberties of rounding out and filling in gaps. Um, I had some, you know, sort of primary facts that guided the story. Obviously, I didn't remember what people said in dialogue and in conversation. So that was the, the fiction writing element, if you will, um, to fill it in. And I really enjoyed that part. I enjoyed I wanted to write a good story um, and I had these various bases. Um, there's a horrible story about the the twins that live next door. Um, mm-hmm. And the one thing I remember was being shot at point blank range in the butt in the driveway. <laughs> and I, I did build the story around that with a couple of other things. But um, anyway. Right. <laughs> well, you really had me fooled. I was like, are you just one of those people like that can like lay out an entire, well, you know, it's 1979. It was May 1st. And I was, it was a Tuesday. I was in Stanley's, you know, there are people like that. So you you yeah. definitely wrote in the, with yeah. that. I will tell you, Michael, um, 
my my mom was a keeper so i have like all the yearbooks she has all the report cards you know i have all like the postcards i have letters i have a lot of ballet programs as you might imagine but um, Mm -hmm. yeah and i had a couple diaries that i had too so i had some I give you a 95% all true. So <laughs> it's good to remember if your child's ever going to write a memoir, just in case, keep everything so they can piece it all back together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think just to round us out today, what do you hope that readers will take away from this book? Well, I think, um, you know, the book, the book, in, it went deep. It intended to tap into some um, very emotional moments in in my life, but I hope that people see the connection to their own lives. Um, I think Bedford was a, was atypical in its level of privilege, its level of um, working around rules and laws for some, but not for everybody. Um, I think it's interesting to learn about communities like that because um, those are a lot of the power holders today that grew up like that, knowing that they could be exempt from certain things or that they had a fast pass or dad could make a call and something would just happen. And um, most of the world doesn't work like that. And that's a great inequity that we experience. But I think rather than um, taking away the inequities, which are interesting, um, I think the commonalities are, are really what I was hoping for was, especially with, um, you know, who, difficult relationships with parents challenged um, for a variety of reasons. One, what addiction does and what alcoholism can do to a family, not just to an individual um, and grief. I mean, my da- my daughter's I'm still reading it. She's like, dad, is anyone else going to die? I'm like, yeah, they are. So, oh. <laughs> oh, no. There's a lot of people that die, but you know, we have to mm-hmm. learn to process that. And sometimes hearing how someone else did, um, helps move you along. So that that's, I hope people see um, the commonalities and the shared experience and the opportunity for growth through that shared experience. Oh, that must be a wild experience to read your dad's book like that. That must be really <laughs> an amazing experience to have yeah, all she's, that history. She's family. proud, which is means a great deal to me. So um, I'm sure she is. Well, thank you so much for joining us so early. I hope that everyone goes out and buys the book. Where would you like listeners to buy the book? Oh, I should somewhere in particular. Is there a local bookstore? Well, um, <laughs> who are we couple, supporting? Sure, yeah. There's a couple in Seattle that really stepped up to do readings for me. Uh, the oh, first was cool. Island Books on Mercer Island, and the other one was a really kind of iconic Seattle bookstore called Elliott Bay Books. Um, mm-hmm. So they've been terrific, and P and B is offering Pacific Northwest Valley is offering it for sale through their shop. Um, and there's a, a bunch of online websites and some of them really support local bookstores as well as get your book to you fast. So. Wonderful. We'll be sure to share a link um, in the show notes of this episode so that people can pick it up. Get your hands on it, people. It's wonderful. We really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for your time. It was great to chat with you about this. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you both. Really enjoyed this. Thank you. Conversations on Dance is part of the ACAST Creator Network. For more information, visit conversationsondancepodpod.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 